I'm your host, Alexandra Marshall, and this week we're joined by Avi Yemeni. So, Avi, welcome to Curtain Call. Thank you for having me. So, here on Curtain Call, we like to go behind the curtain with the stars of the culture wars, and you have been doing more than your fair share of fighting the culture wars down in Victoria, uh, or as we New South Welshmen like to call it, the southern state of Danistan. Uh, so some call you a hellraiser, but all you're really doing is standing for the basic right of journalists to report freely on the news. Um, and you are currently the Australian Bureau Chief for Rebel News, and it must be said, one of the only honest journalists left in Victoria. Your bio says you started out as an Israeli Defence Force marksman. Did you always want to be in journalism or was there a moment in your life where you decided this was going to be your thing? Um, I never wanted to be in journalism. I didn't even know what journalism was about, what was that, 15 years ago when I joined the army or whatever it is now. Um, no, I, I kind of fell into it. It was, it's just, um, something I fell into and I actually love it. I owned gyms before I did this and I love what I do now on most days. Sometimes it gets a bit, uh, a bit tough, but most days it's good. So you're going to stick with the whole journalist thing and not go back to uh, the military or back to being no. a gym rat? No, and no, no, no. The military was fun. The gym's less fun. Yeah, I've just restarted the gym and I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, Australia has a reputation for being a sort of calm backwater of the world, you know, a peaceful, politically disinterested nation, which I think is probably a good thing. Um, you've obviously experienced the heightened political nightmare surrounding Israel. Does it worry you when you see Australia embracing radical politics amongst its general population? Yeah, it is scary. It's, it is it is very scary watching that and seeing some of the things that now has become normal and ex not only accepted normal, it's, you know, some of the conversations we're having now that you, if you look back, five, ten years ago, you would have never thought, but hey, here we are in Melbourne and if you told me even a year and a half ago that we'd be in lockdown and we were there were curfews and you weren't allowed to leave your house more than five Ks, I think I'd, I'd think you're pretty crazy back then as well. So the world has certainly shifted and Australia has shifted in a direction that is very scary. But living in Victoria, you could not have picked a more authoritarian state of Australia to live in except perhaps Western Australia who, you know, discuss putting ankle bracelets on COVID patients as if that's normal. Uh, footage from Victoria, including what you have shot for Rebel News, makes it look like a police state. And we have seen people thrown to the ground, pregnant women harassed and arrested in their own homes and the elderly, you know, uh, pushed off park benches if they're sitting down after a walk. How close to the authoritarian line are Victoria police trading? 
I, I think they've crossed it. I think that, you know, I, again, it, it depends on the cops. That's the thing. I think they've been given these unprecedented powers and uh, some of them are really enjoying them and some of them are using it for their own personal power trips. Others just want to get back to real policing. I found that out over the weekend and I, I've noticed it all the way through. There are, I think coronavirus has certainly brought out and exposed the two groups of people that are policing. Um, there are the good cops and the bad cops. And um, unfortunately, I think in Melbourne, we're seeing a lot of the bad ones at the moment. And yeah, I don't know where we're headed from here because even it's going to be really hard for Victoria police uh, to regain that trust, especially, you know, even in the, since the, long lockdown that we had and the months that they've been trying to rehabilitate that um that that connection with the community i think i, I even saw they were doing like an online uh survey to try regain some trust but i think everything was lost again in this latest lockdown and even worse so because people saw after the big lockdown where the 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 public trust in the police was was gone um and then when people saw police trying to regain their trust and start to believe it and people thought oh maybe they've changed maybe they've learned and then suddenly we went into this new lockdown and it was just the exact same thing um i don't think anyone's going to believe them again yeah, well, they could, they've tried to do it in regional Australia and New South Wales, but, you know, I live or come from a town where we have 100,000 people and only about four cops. So there's no way you can enact what they're doing in Melbourne in regional New South Wales. It's just physically impossible. Uh, but are you frustrated with your fellow Victorians for their lack of interest in fighting for their own freedom? Victoria is the most compliant city in Australia for sure, but possibly in the world. It is crazy. No matter what the government does here, um, they seem to get away with it. There was towards the end of the, the the long lockdown here, I think if you walk down the street and you mentioned Dan Andrews' name, everybody would freak out. Everybody hated him. But it didn't take him long to then suddenly everybody's uh loving him again. I think Stockholm syndrome is the only thing that can kind of explain what's happened here in Melbourne. Unfortunately, I uh, don't have much faith in Victorians and I feel like if I had to bet it, I, I would actually bet that Dan Andrews is going to win or the La Labor Party is going to win um, the next election. I'm not sure if Dan is going to is gonna be their man. Who knows? Because if it seems to be a Dan. lot of, what is it? If we can find him, that's right. There's a lot of uh, weird stuff going on there. But um, I, I think sadly Victoria just doesn't learn its lesson. It's like that. They want the punishment. They love it. It's scary. Well, Victorians often wonder why Gladys Berejiklian doesn't implement the same regime up here in New South Wales because we have cases as well and we have outbreaks. Um, and the simple truth is that she can't. So even at the height of the pandemic and when masks were compulsory and you weren't allowed to travel, uh, people were just doing what they wanted. People were not wearing masks. They were, they were travelling wherever they wanted to go. Uh, New South Wales uh, people are just not compliant to the state. We refuse to obey directives that we don't like. So are you surprised that there's such a big difference between the behaviour of people in New South Wales and Victoria? I mean, it's always been a joke between the two cities, but it does appear to be true that the states are quite different. 
They are. They're absolutely different. I think you're right. I think uh, in New South Wales, they wouldn't put up with, and they didn't put up with half the things that we do here and continue to do. Like this, this place is crazy. People, people are enforcing the rules on each other here. You walk down the street and you're not wearing a mask and it's some, it's like scenes you see in parts of America. It's, it's madness. Um, and it is frustrating. It's, if you're somebody that just wants to live and let live, not Victoria. Well, interesting you mentioned America because I know that the Democrats, particularly in New York City, have enforced vaccine passports where they've actually collaborated with Microsoft to produce a new type of vaccine ID, which you require to enter pubs and cafes and to go to work. But then you've got, of course, the Republicans who are forbidding in law any kind of vaccine passport. So I wonder what impact do you think that's going to have on the divide between Republicans and Democrats over in the states when you introduce medical tyranny? Yeah, I it, it it's interesting because in America it's it's it kind of is like a left and right thing, um, but if you look around the world, it's not. You know, Israel was a, a, an interesting example, and I know a lot about Israel just because I got so much family there, and um, I, I keep saying this, but the, the way Israel dealt with the pandemic to me as an Israeli, I found it embarrassing to say the least, um, and tyrannical. Now, thankfully, they've dropped everything, even the masks, everything. But they were the first to implement vaccine passports. Uh, that was one of the first things to be dropped. And uh, I, I think that really it was just a way to encourage people to get the vaccine. And now they, I think they're at about 60% and they've got near to no cases and, and they don't care. Um, in Israel, you can go in and out of the country just if you're not vaccinated or you don't. If you if you're vaccinated or you or you've got antibodies, um, you don't even have to quarantine. If you don't have a vaccine, uh, you're not vaccinated or you don't have antibodies, you have to self quarantine at home for ten days. Um, so Israel went the strictest and now is is the lowest. Um, I think, and it was weird because in Israel it was actually it was. It was more the right wing that were pro a lot of um, the restrictions and the rules and the which which was foreign to me. And it was the 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 freedom movement was actually uh, more run by leftists. Um, I think maybe it's because uh, Bibi Netanyahu so it was a right wing government, so it kind of just panned out. Like the Bibi supporters um, just had his back. I think it's also different because people do tend, Israelis tend to trust government more uh, just because it is a state that's built on survival. So if you don't trust your government, um, I think you're, you're pretty much gone because uh, it's a state that's under constant conflict. Um, but yeah, so I think in America, certainly going to create that divide much stronger. I think here it's not, all. it's also less of a left and right thing. Um, and I think a great example of that is if you go to any of the lockdown protests, it's diverse to say the least. You've got uh, alliances that a couple of years ago, if you if you told me that you're going to have, you know, these traditionally like anti-jihadi or Islamic groups marching alongside Muslims from uh, some of the western northern suburbs, I would have been like, you're crazy. And but that's what's happening. That's the reality here. And they, you know, some of those groups were traditionally Labor voters and um, the others, you can go to the extreme and you have uh, 
One Nation supporters that were marching together against the tyranny. Um, so what in America, yes, I think it is going to create more of a divide and it is creating more of a divide between Democrats and Republicans. I think in Australia, Israel, in many parts of the world, I think it's less, um, it's less so. Well, of course, uh, left and right are not a stable concept. So, you know, the right in France, for instance, are the hard left in England because the countries have very different concepts of what we consider to be left and right. And that might explain some of the discrepancies that we see around the world between the different governments and uh, what they consider to be freedom. Uh, but civil disobedience is a really important part of not only what you do and what you cover, but what's going on with politics at the moment. Uh, I wrote a piece for The Spectator recently about the role of civil disobedience in Australia, and I'd be interested to hear about what you think of this particular sentiment. Um, I said, it is the fundamental duty of all citizens to protest against the laws of the state if those laws are unenforceable, illegal, ridiculous, created without reasonable consultation, destructive to society, or otherwise a breach of international standards to which the nation is a signatory. In this case, the act of civil disobedience is not against the nation, but rather in defence of the nation against those who have abused the laws of the state. Would you say that that is a fair assumption well, of civil disobedience? Well articulated, much better than I could have done, that's for sure. <laughs> well done. Yeah, well, we're seeing then in Victoria that acts of civil disobedience don't appear to be against the government to tear down the system. They seem to be wanting to preserve the system that they had. Exactly. Um, people are fighting for the freedoms that we built in this country, the freedoms that we love and cherish in this country, not, not you know, I've been to all sorts of protests. You've got protests that are there designed to um, tear down everything that we hold dear. This is not that. People, and it's great because you're seeing people come together who from all different backgrounds that are just saying, I love Australia. I want Australia back. I want to enjoy the freedoms that, Australia has and had to offer the reason why I came to this country um, to escape tyrannical governments or war or conflict, anything like that. There's all these kinds of people that were coming. You know how many times I've heard at one of these protests, go, I've come from a communist country to Australia to get away from this sort of um, police brutality. And that's what it is. Well, let me ask you straight up. Are the people in charge of the Victorian police political? Absolutely. Yes. I think command is very political in Victoria. I don't, it's it, anyone who denies that um, is either lying or they're blind. It's crystal clear that the police command here are an arm of the, the Andrews government. Well, there are two very disturbing things that happen in Victoria. And the first is that the police were cornering you in the street and interfering with your ability to report because you were not listed as an accredited media by Victoria Police. And the second was when the police showed up at your house in the middle of the night with a letter from the Assistant Commissioner warning you not to cover a protest when other media outlets were not contacted. Now, ignoring the fact that you definitely should have found a comb for your hair before answering the door to Big Brother, uh, since when did we allow the police to decide who is and is not a reporter? It's, it's a crazy idea to think that the police have any say on who reports at any event in a Western free democracy is ludicrous. They don't. And that's why I've won that argument. And that's why I 
ignored them every time and I've never been charged for anything. You know, you're, you're bringing up two incidents in the last week, but this has been happening for the last year and a half. I've been arrested numerous times. I've been never charged with anything. And in fact, the only one laying charges is me against them. Um, yes, yeah, so, when you're not being dragged off into some paddy wagon and trending on Twitter for it. Exactly, but and, and and I'm never charged for any of these things. So what does that tell you? Is it's that actually it's all unlawful and it is done for a political agenda. It is because well, ever been issued with an apology? They ever said sorry? No, 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 no. I've I've I probably can't say it on the record yet, but no, very <laughs> much no. And um, to the point where. An apology at points could have got him out of a lot of trouble. Now, here's the thing that now worries me. That's all I'm allowed to say. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing that worries me. When you rocked up to the protest to cover it the next day, you approached a lot of mainstream journalists. Now, we all knew before you asked them that they would not have been approached by the police commissioner, assistant commissioner, the night before. We knew that. But what surprised me is that they did not show any interest in the fact that you had been intimidated by the police. Yeah. And they seem to be, these are the people who claim to be in favour of press freedom. They kick up a real stink if anything oh, happens. Yeah. And yet when they the see... The argument you know, is Avi, Avi's not a real journalist, which whatever. Um, that's that's yeah. that's what they typically... Although in defence of... So Channel 9, she ran away. So I'll never get to know what she thinks. Uh, let's just assume she believes she's bigger and better than me and rebel news and, you know, we deserve everything. Um, and, and if it was the other way, I would, I would defend her. I would defend even if it was Buzzfeed or some other, like I would defend anyone that's going out to report whether I agree with um, their politics or not. Um, in all fairness to the SBS journalist, she was quite nice. She, uh, like I just got that feeling she was, like she didn't run away. She was willing to talk. She was happy to talk. Um, I thought about it later and I, I thought it was funny because when she said, oh, I seen it on Twitter, I, I really should. And it's very easy after the fact um, in hindsight to look at it and go, oh, I should have just asked. So why didn't you say anything? Or why do you think no one's even defending me? But easy now. Well, to- I- I get the uh, uh, feeling that a lot of the press are happy to stay quiet about press freedom as long as they are assured their seat at the next Dan Andrews press conference. Exactly. A hundred percent. And in it's uh, the, the relationship between the mainstream press and the Andrews government is incestuous. It's like they, they, and I've heard stories from friendly journal, journalists in the mainstream who tell me, listen, no one wants to really rock the thing because they want not only a, an invitation to the next um, Dan Andrews press conference, but they, you know, they want the the invite to the overseas trip paid for by the Labor government. They want, you know, they want to be part of everything. They want to be fr- you know, friendly with the government because anybody that dares to cross the government doesn't get a chair at any table. You look at uh, even Neil Mitchell, and I haven't been the biggest fan of Neil's uh, um, COVID reporting, but Daniel Andrews will not go on his show or he won't go on 3AW at all. So um, I think in Victoria, if you don't tow the government's line, they come back at you 
you know, when it's somebody like me, they feel like they can really strong arm me. I think they're starting to feel less so <laughs> now, but they felt they could get away with anything. They, they felt they could, you know, intimidate me by coming to my house. They'd arrest me and stop me physically in the mind. All these things are starting to crumble on them. Um, but even mainstream journalists who dare cross a line with their questioning, they get banned from um, ha having the the premier on to discuss or challenge any of any of his ideas or any of his policies so we live in a state where the government believes that they're beyond um the thing of the media the reach of the media and now they've discovered the power of social media as well so once governments realize that they could use social media not only to get their message out but to silence messages they don't like they've started to warm to the idea of internet censorship. Now, how worried are you that people like Scott Morrison, who should be the on the side of liberty and protecting people's free speech online, he is one of the advocates. He's cuddling up to Jacinda Ardern and the people who wrote the hated copyright directive in the EU. He's on the side of censoring uh the people of Australia. Are you worried that we are heading down this yeah. similar sort of almost Chinese road of uh, censorship. Yeah, absolutely, and I I think it's embarrassing what um, how Scott Morrison deals with a lot of things. I don't I think he's a weak conservative. I don't think he's a real conservative. And um, yeah, any government that's entertaining the idea of censorship is an absolute disgrace. And I think it's all going to backfire, anyways. I don't think in the long run it's going to help him. I think uh, it's it, uh, the is the internet is evolving and. You know, what are you going to do? Uh, I think the biggest blessing to the, what do we call it, the rebel um, uh, group of people. So pe until, so I think Donald Trump getting banned off everything was the biggest blessing to those of us that have um, been censored until now. Because until that point and until now, big names after Donald Trump, all these big names are able to be pulled off and it's not, it's, it's already not even newsworthy anymore because they did it to the, the president. The problem is that at this point, it's not just, you're not um, censoring the fringe, you're censoring. The, I don't think you can get any more mainstream than the president of the United States. So when you start doing things like that, all you're doing, all you're doing is you're forcing um something to shift and you you're forcing an opening where people like people like me that have been censored you know i've been i've lost a million followers on facebook from censorship i've had every you know and until until it's happened to much bigger and more important people well it was just sliding nobody cared about my situation but now it's happening to some of the most powerful voices in conservative um discourse so um i'm glad because now we're starting to see uh, we're starting to see that shift and i think over the next five years uh, as more and more of these laws and things pass and rules and uh whether it comes from social media giants themselves or from government it's going to force openings within the internet the internet is evolving there is no way to stop everybody that wants to have open and free dialogue. There's no way to do it. In the short term, yes, you can kick off one, two, three people. Um, but I think the, the the mistakes that 
the mistake they're having is that they they got too cocky. They've done it to people that they probably should have just let be because at the end of the day, once you did it to them, you're for you're forcing a shift. You're forcing people to turn around. And suddenly there's all these different platforms that are starting to pick up. You know, we we relied on YouTube till now. And about a month ago, we've started Rumble. We've got 50,000 followers on Rumble already. And and I don't know what the future is. What All I can tell you is that in the next five years, no one will predict what's what that shift is going to be. But something is going to give. Something is going to change. Um, so am I worried about... I'm always worried about censorship, but that I, but I'm less worried now than I was before Trump got kicked off. Well, let's not forget that uh, when Nigeria kicked Twitter out of its country entirely, they went out and declared themselves as a basic human right, which uh, doesn't seem to fit with their actions of banning people from their basic human rights. I thought that was quite funny. So funny. So it's um, just so, you can't like you can't even make that stuff up. The fact that they can that that somebody with a straight face typed that up. And but, tweeted it out, and you think hey, you're just you're having a laugh, aren't you? You're well, just, you're trolling us. You are trolling us. As I say with Gen Z, there's Stalin's little helpers. And one of my last points here before our, our fun question is that uh, all of this new censorship regulation is made possible because the next generation growing up, which we call Gen Z, are warming to authoritarianism they like to have the state controlling them they've been raised by basically communist universities so you're on the ground what i'm really asking is uh are free speech and liberty and liberty campaigners facing a dark ages so to speak like are we going to go downhill uh with liberty and freedom for a while as this new generation grows up or is there hope it's mm, a good question i think Right now is the dark time, I think, uh, and especially in Victoria. I think uh, I think other states are looking at what's happening here and they're going, we'll never let that happen. I, I guess that goes back to the point we we're, talk, we're talking about at first. Um, but, yeah, I think we're going to struggle for a bit. I think that there's, a, there's a, the, the, the real younger generation are going to be the fight back. So your, your teenagers now, I don't reckon they're going to accept what um, – those changes so i think maybe the next five ten years is going to be a bit bit of a struggle but in 10 15 years i think we're going to have more freedom than ever because we're going to have a generation that are going to rebel against everything and you're seeing it already you're seeing some like i'm hearing some of the kids at school when they're trying to indoctrinate them and tell teach them things that they're like yeah but no that doesn't actually make any sense what are you talking about and I'm hearing these conversations. I'm thinking, yeah, and and it's coming from a completely natural position where they're they're rebelling against what they're being forced uh, to believe by the generation that you're talking about, the generation that loves to be controlled. Um, so I think in the short term, yes, I guess that's a long answer to. Well, civilization is like an ocean. It has currents and waves and it yeah. it's always going backwards and forward between the tide. I, of I think coronavirus sped up the process. I reckon that if we didn't have the pandemic, um, that may have sustained for a lot longer because it would have been a much more gradual thing and people wouldn't have picked up on it. Right now, I reckon people are waking up from every side, not even, you know, people that don't even care about politics. Are suddenly awakening. It was too soon to pull the whole authoritarian lever, and people went, yeah. oh, "Hang on a second. 
Uh, look, yep. this is our last fun question on uh, Curtain Call because I know you've got to go. Uh, if you could have dinner with anybody, living or dead, who would it be and why? This was the only question that I did read that he sent me. And I was like, oh. but I, like, I want to give you something that's really inspiring for you, but not really. Like for me personally, it's my uncle who died in the Six Day War. He was a soldier in the Six Day War. I just want to know him. So it's nothing well, that it's, it's about who you want to who you want to have dinner with. So that's a wonderful. That's answer. who I want to have dinner with. hundred percent. I would love to hear the story of that war. I would love to get to know him. I'd love to. Yeah, that's for me. Wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you so Shall much. Shaul is his name. Thank you so much for joining us on Curtain Call today, RV. Best of luck in Victoria, Danistan, and uh, also good luck surviving the apocalypse you're having down there right now. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on Curtain Call. We are hosted by The Good Source, the home of conservative and libertarian voices. Help us fight fake news by following us online. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and all good podcasting services. If you enjoy this content, please like and subscribe.